0: Welcome to our next voyage on T-Minus 10, the show that explores the future of learning and technology in healthcare. I'm your host, Tim Fitzpatrick. On today's episode, you'll hear from Jason Rose, CEO of Adhere Health. Today, we're talking about a half a trillion dollar problem. You might be familiar with Jason, who has been at the helm of Adhere Health since 2018, but has over three decades of experience in value-based care. Prior to this, Jason served in executive roles at Inovalon, Steering the company through its successful IPO back in 2015. He's also a Forbes business council member and a frequent contributor to the American journal of managed care under Jason's leadership Adhere Health has been pioneering the use of AI data and telepharmacy to optimize medication use. It's the only national telepharmacy solution operating at scale in the United States and touches over 30 million consumers across the country. Jason has guided at Here Health's transformation these past five years. I really enjoyed learning more about the company's PRM, the first of its kind patient relationship management software. It's fascinating to hear how Jason and his team think about data and how they triangulate that siloed information into a set of specific, actionable recommendations in real time. To learn more about it, at Here Health, connect with Jason, or read some of his writing in Forbes and AJMC, all links are available in our show notes. We're ready to go. Please enjoy The Voyage with Jason Rose. It is a pleasure and great to have you on T-Minus 10. There's a question that has come up in in listening to your background and knowing that you've been at this in healthcare technology for multiple decades now, uh, and having gotten your start at GW and kind of paving the way for a lot who would come after you, I want to know what is your take on first of all where healthcare technology is today, and then we want to hear your your story, you know, how you got here, what is your origin story, so to speak.
1: Great, Tim. Uh, and first of all, thank you so much for inviting me to uh, the podcast today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, where my take on healthcare? So, if you think back, and it's funny, I hear 30 years uh, of being in this space. It's it makes me feel like a dinosaur, um, but I'm, I'm I'm not that old actually but um you know if if you go back into the mid 90s there was no healthcare tech space back in the 90s and so you fast forward to today there absolutely is a healthcare tech space it's thriving um I think everyone recognizes um that technology absolutely needs to drive um outcomes for healthcare and drive um improvement in quality of patients lives and um um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a clear indication of where technology has, is um, uh, transformed other industries. It's just that healthcare is so far behind. So as much as I believe that, um, we have the right tech to make some positive changes today, um, I think that healthcare is just many, many, many decades behind nearly every other industry of where it ought to be. Uh, and so I think there's ripe for opportunity, and there's a huge space uh, for for us today.
0: Amazing, and I know you're you're tackling one of the probably the hardest, but also the most expensive challenges we have in the healthcare system. I'd, I'd love to hear how you came to be working on the problem you are now. And you know, you talk about thirty years, and I tried to you know be generous with saying a couple of decades. Yeah, take thirty. Uh, let's. Uh, how has that changed? Right, your experience. You decided have you been working on medication on here the whole time why what led you to, to wanting to work to work on this problem in particular and, and leading at your health i'd love to hear that kind of that yeah of story as
1: well. so um uh so i for the last um couple decades i've been in the value-based care space and so um, uh, my entire career or nearly my entire career i've been focusing on how to leverage technology to drive health care outcomes and so the last 20 years there there has uh this value based care concept has become um uh an important aspect of uh not not just what the government is driving towards but really i think all commercial organizations are driving towards so um back uh before i was here i was at a company called innovon which which uh, I'm, i was uh, very pleased to be a part of a startup that uh went 1000000000 dollar ipo um and uh, really a a, an anchor in the healthcare industry, and Novalon's a fantastic company in measuring um, outcomes and processing uh, data and and all that. Um, what what attracted me to it here was going a step further, which is um, uh, focusing on the biggest problem that you were just uh, relating to. Tim is um, now that we have evolved um, many of the Basic aspects of processes and measuring of processes, things like HEDIS and other PQA measures. Just what are the processes? Are they working? And, um, you know, it's now value based care has really started to really drive focusing on those hardest to reach, most vulnerable Americans with social determinants of health. And so, uh, what drew me to uh, uh, the company I work for now, Here Health, is that we focus on that group. And adherence is not just medications, really. It's adherence to all clinical protocols. And so, um, but what is the most important aspect of um, uh, patient care that is problematic or one of the most important issues is the fact that patients don't take their medications. And it's not just a matter of people just uh, not choosing not to. It's just that Oftentimes they can't or they don't know that they need to. And so it's a 20% of the entire U.S. healthcare spend is this problem. It's unnecessary medical costs. It's half a trillion dollars every single year that is caused by that. And it really gets down to not uh, not that that we don't have good technology, uh, not that we don't have fantastic clinicians uh, and we have good government government. Um, uh, Public private partnerships in place, but what are we doing to achieve the quintuple aim of healthcare? So you think about the triple aim of healthcare, Don Berwick, you know, um, 2008, which is uh, better patient experience, better health, health healthcare outcomes, lower cost of care. The fourth aim is better clinician experience, which I'm going to get to in a second. And the fifth one is uh, improved health equity. And so to me, um those last two that have been added uh to the original triple aim really important clinicians want to do the right thing they often don't have the tools to do it they don't often have the data a comprehensive data set to know right now in this moment what do i need to do because they don't have a a wide breadth of what's going on with that patient because they don't have the data and then second uh secondly uh health equity there are large cohorts of patients, not just in the United States, but across the world, who are perpetually those who are driving the highest cost of care because they're uh, underprivileged and uh, most vulnerable. And tackling that problem is a key to actually achieving better outcomes. It's the key to getting patients their medications. It's the key to um, improving um, testing rates and and uh, compliance on HEDIS measurements and all that it's it's those most vulnerable Americans, and we 're at the point now where where the tech is in place, the regulatory framework is in place and um, and then there's a a mind share that we need to focus on health
0: equity. this is so Jason, I appreciate you. You mentioned quite a few things that I want to kind of pull on here for a second. First of all. QDIS and PQA. For people that may not be familiar, I will say just some context here. This audience is increasingly interested in value-based care, so your both your experience and your background, but also what you're working on now is highly relevant. And I think, especially in kidney care nephrology, where we're starting to see meaningful traction in this world, but we're learning from what you've been working on for a couple of decades. You wrote something recently about the force multiplier in Medicare, and thinking about it and the opportunities of improving some of those quality ratings. Can you give us an idea why those matter? First of all, define to to find those things for people who may not be aware yep. of key disks and what quality measures look like, but then what is the relationship between what it is you're working on, value based care, and some of these quality measures?
1: Yeah, so let, let's, uh, let's take this at a really high level, and then I'll, I'll narrow it down to specifically how it applies to so Medicare Advantage. Um, Star ratings, which is the the value based framework that the government put in place ten years, uh, thirteen years ago. So at a very high level, um, there there is a, a focus on how do you can um, improve outcomes uh, and reduce costs of care. That's really in a nutshell value based care. And so how do you achieve that is a different story. So um, Medicare Advantage, which is about thirty million members today, it's over fifty percent of all the Medicare beneficiaries are in a a private um, health plan, which is a Medicare Advantage plan, and CMS as a part of the Affordable Care Act uh, in 2009, um, uh, they flipped the switch to say, uh, we're going to reduce how much money you make, Mr. or Mrs. Health Plan, in terms of reimbursement, but you can make it back It's about 5% of the reimbursement. You can make it back if you prove that you're doing the best outcomes. In the country, against all your competition, and so that is in a nutshell star ratings, so it's Darwinism in healthcare it's survival of the fittest there there's five stars four stars get you in the money effectively, and if you get three, two or one, you get no money so if you aren't at four or five, you're not in the top echelon you are you cannot compete with the rest of the plans for a new membership or retain your membership. you don't have the money. To invest in your product to provide the best benefits, and um, you're 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 frankly at risk of your job if you are working there. And so, it is a critical aspect of how the government laid the framework out as a part of the ACA. So, when you think about uh, about fifty measures make up each of them are are evaluated separately um, uh, against all the plans in the United States. Doesn't matter about the region. Doesn't matter about the size of plan. It's just an equal footing. Um, if you think about the 50 measures, there are about 50% of the weighting. They're not all measured. E- the measures are not weighted equally when they ultimately score this every year. Medication adherence is a is a force multiplier of if you don't do well on the measures that are related to showing that patients are taking their drugs 80% of the time or more every year, then you. It's nearly impossible to actually get to that four star marker, which gets you about $400 per member per year and again, makes you relevant. And so uh, that's the forest multiplier, because if you think about, you know, zoom out of this government wonky stuff, think about um, medications. If I don't take my medications, my blood sugar glucose is going to be out of range, which is a different measure. Within star ratings and what's called HEDIS and quality measurement, if I don't take my diabetic medications, I'm at risk for chronic kidney disease. If I don't take my diabetic medications, I'm at risk for not uh, for having um, glaucoma and things of that nature with eye exams. If I don't take my statin, I'm at risk for all these other different measures and th- and so on and so forth. So if you if you believe, I always like to say, if you believe in medicine, um, then you believe that medicine can actually improve outcomes. And so. What do we need to do to overcome the barrier of care, food, water, shelter, access, health literacy, so that they can get their medications, so that they can live happier, healthier lives? And then the health plan, if you're the health plan, I actually can achieve my financial goals as well because I've actually improved care.
0: Amazing. So you again, thank you for kind of teeing that up. You mentioned the why now of there's regulatory in place and that we have tech that's increasingly in place. So let's now switch gears and talk about with this foundation you've painted for us, what does the tech look like and where does it here fit into that, that world?
1: Yeah. So it here really, uh, you know, I've thought about this a lot. We, if you think about that quintuple aim of healthcare, improving clinician experience with all due respect to the original reasoning around the improving clinician experience i think the original intention was about reducing clinician burnout which was uh, particularly important uh it was uh with the pandemic and it's still important today i take a different um perspective on uh improving clinician experience so where it here does is that we intake data massive amounts of data tens of millions of members and we're importing this on a daily basis this is medical claims pharmacy claims Uh, eligibility data, um, hospital admission, discharge data, on and on and on, SDOH data, and we intake that and we process every single day to identify risk at the measure level of the individual issue that's being scored and the patient level, holistically speaking. And so where the clinician experience comes into play is that we arm the clinicians. These are doctors, pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, and nurses. And this is, for us, we're really more of a telepharmacy. We're probably the only national telepharmacy uh, that that is at scale. And we use these uh, software clinical workflow purpose-built um, tools that we arm the physician, the clinicians with, that has the data of yesterday um, to show what, should be focused on right now with this member or this pay or this doctor who's on the phone with you to drive today right at this moment and then based on the information that the self-reported from the patient or doctor real-time ai helps drive additional analytics of what do i do with that information right now or in a few days so so we really drive clinician experience so that we can really achieve ultimately lower cost of care, better patient experience, better outcomes, et cetera. And so we feel like we're um, really the only company that's actually doing that at scale. And we use um, a what's called a patient relationship management PRM framework to do
0: that. So the patient relationship management framework is something I definitely want to dig into because I've seen you talk about how EHRs are not the answer. And I know that oftentimes people talk about, well, EHR is a problem and it's a segmented, fragmented market. And uh, obviously we know it's a, it's a long tail. Um, could you kind of compare and contrast the two just to help people understand what that PRM looks like and how it compares to what people are probably familiar with?
1: Yeah, so let's, let's you know compare uh, the, the data within <clears throat> health plans and the data within provider groups is, to start with the answer to that question, Tim. So if you think about claims data, claims data is miles and miles wide in terms of information. If you think about an electronic health record for that specific doctor group or hospital that the patient happened to go to, it's going to be miles and miles deep of clinical information. And so, but they're not the same thing. There's, there's a lot of differences. So really in the, in the best world is that you have both. You have the clinical information, and you have the claims information. Claims information is good for indication of issues uh, or potential risk. The clinical information is um, a good indication of what's happening right now at a clinical level to reduce um, abrasion uh, with with the conversations with the patients and things of that nature. But if you if you uh, if you think about just medications, so the beautiful thing about medications is that they're adjudicated every single day. Patient goes to Walgreens or CVS, they buy a drug, as long as it's not cash pay, they buy the drug, it transacts the next day, you actually know the patient picked up that drug at Walgreens, et cetera, et cetera. And you can calculate a medication adherence ratio, you know, as often as you want. And so medical data, just just the nature of the beast, because of billing processes in hospitals, is is sometimes months delayed, and so um, the, a really good indication of actual health today is the pharmacy data. And so EHRs don't possess a comp. If an average Medicare patient sees five to seven doctors a year, so that EHR for Doctor Smith's practice, he has no idea about Mrs. Uh, Doctor Jones's practice, this health system that is you know a couple miles away. The specialists at patients saying they have no idea. They only know what's in their EHR and neither do the other EHR systems. So we have interoperability in concept, but those health systems and provider groups, they can't or won't share that data with other organizations. It's, 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 uh, technically possible. Um, but it's expensive and, um, and there's a lot of regulatory problems that, um, prevent it from happening. And frankly, business clinicians don't want in this, or businesses don't want to share their information with each other because they don't want to lose their patients. So uh, lots of issues there. So if you think about the claims data, the payer has all the data. If I'm like Cigna or United Aetna, whomever, I have all the claims data for every single doctor, every drug they're taking. I have all the drug, diagnoses codes that have been coded. And I'm paying all the bills. And so I have this mile wide information stream. And then what I don't have is I don't have the clinical information from the HR and I don't have what the patient's in their head. Right. And so combining all that in a good experience with the patient um, is is uh, with with first and foremost, focusing on um, assuming that the patient wants to be well. That there's a good reason why they didn't take their diabetic medication. It's probably because of a social determinant of health. Tackling that first and foremost. um, Mrs. Jones, did you take your uh, medication for your diabetes? No, I haven't. Well, tell me what's going on in your life. Well, I can't afford food on my table. So I can't pay for the drug and the food. Or I don't, my car's broken down. I can't get to the pharmacy. Or I don't have a doctor. Or I'm in a pharmacy desert. Or I'm in a food desert. Those are the actual issues that prevent Mrs. Jones from actually taking the drug. And so focusing on that, use the health plan benefits that are available, use the community and social services networks that are available, church pantries, all those things are available, fix that. That's the issue. It's not the patient's not taking the drug. The actual issue is food, water, shelter, and Maslow Haruka needs. That's what it really is. So that you can actually get the patient compliant on clinical guidelines and medications and that's a prm you know and you do that holistically you don't do that transactionally we're not calling them once and then that's the last time you hear from us it's a maybe five six seven phone calls in a matter of a year of identifying the social determinative health addressing it making sure it was addressed get the patient on the medication make sure they're persistent on it there's no issues and questions Again, constant feedback loop, use the data and the monitoring systems to make sure that everything is staying the way you wanted it to be, uh, and the patient is in a good place. And that's how you use a PRM. You think about CRM Salesforce.com. PRM is the healthcare version of that.
0: That's great. I used to cover CRM once upon a time in a past life. And I as you're talking, I'm thinking about all the different data sets that go into a PRM and what makes it tick. And I'm thinking, well, it's kind of like, you know relational database, I think Airtable and basic spreadsheet, I think Google Sheets or Excel. And PRM just feels like the logical evolutionary next step for for healthcare, especially given all these challenges. So this is a great segue as we're kind of thinking about the future of wrapping up. I want to talk about top barriers and challenges. It sounds like interoperability and multiple data sources and lagging time scales on the data are, are a challenge, but the opportunity at the same time is addressing social determinants of health and uh, actually being able to combine those data sources in a way that provides real time insight for clinicians and gives some direction. So let's, I wanna make sure I hear from you on what those are. I think the best way to do that is to to wrap up with our final frontier that kind of nicely packages, uh, first and foremost, what you see as a top opportunity as you think about the road ahead for you, for it here, for the industry at large, what do you see as Kind of that that top aspirational optimistic goal on the road ahead.
1: Yeah, so I, I uh, uh, unabashedly am going to focus on the big elephant in the room, which is medication adherence. No one's really doing a good job at it, frankly. Um, I say a half a trillion dollars a year in medical costs. That's by the way, that's not my number. That's the Annals of Pharmacotherapy study in 2018 on 2016 data. So it's now seven years. It's a lot of people have. You actually age in the last seven years, particularly the baby boomers. It's really probably closer to a trillion. So it's twenty percent of U.S. healthcare spend. That's the big opportunity. How do we focus on that? How do we actually get down to everything we've just spoken about? How do you actually get that issue resolved, and um, and really get into the weeds of vulnerable Americans? I think the pandemic, by the way, uh, I wrote a lot of articles, did a lot of uh, speaking on this too. Pandemic was a perfect, I think, frankly, wasted opportunity to tackle that in a really big way. It, because who were most hurt in the pandemic? It was not the genetic code. It was the zip code. It was the patients, the same patients that exist today, pre pandemic and post pandemic, who were not getting their drugs for their chronic conditions, who ended up having COVID. Lots of people got COVID. Those are the ones who actually got hospitalized and had higher mortality risk. And so that was a perfect example of. Why we need to focus on that massive problem that no one is doing a good job on today
0: that's great and jason just so you're aware we will make sure that all of the links to because i saw that you had published quite a bit you had done quite a bit of speaking on on this topic so i'll make sure that that is covered it's in linked in the show notes and people can find it uh, that kind of gets us into the, the challenge what do you see as a barrier in your way of being able to address and go tackle some of these opportunities and adherence.
1: You only have certain data available and that is effectively available daily. So what is available daily that's useful that will might change day to day that you can actually make a big impact on? And so, um, like I was saying earlier, pharmacy data is adjudicated daily. Use the data. It's it's. uh Use the data in a meaningful way to drive analytics off of that. Bounce that up against the medical data. So here's a interesting uh, fact: is that um, uh, here is uh, amongst uh, some maybe maybe the only organization, or amongst the only very few organizations in the in the world, that actually can take um, medical data, claims data, and and uh, uh, assess that with active pharmacy data and see where there is problems. So a patient has got epilepsy, there's an ICD-10 for epilepsy, as Dr. Smith has validated the patient has epilepsy, and there's not any NDC code for pharmacy. The patient's not taking anti-seizure medication at all, ever. And so that patient in the next six to 18 months is gonna be in the hospital and they may not come out of the hospital. And it's going to cost about thirty dollars to $50,000 when that happens, and it's going to be horrible for everybody. And so that is an example. And that's not even a government measure. That's just a commercial self-insured employer, ASO, you know, help plan issue. Any employer is going to have the same problem. And there are thousands of examples of what I just described. And so just matching the data that's available and doing it quickly, and then augmenting that with, I think, where this is where EHR is helpful, find the clinical data. That you can augment the claims data, combine it together, and then use self-reported information of what's really going on. Why are you not taking this medication? Give the clinicians the tools to actually drive the needle. So I, I I'm, I'm, um, I will, uh, I, I challenge uh, everybody who's a stakeholder. Although I'm going to flip it around. Tim is that the challenge is is that let's get the government and let's get the commercial industry. Let's get the payer public private um, partnerships to drive this more so. We're going too slow. So the um, Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 was great in concept, and we're making strides on that. It's not enough, and it's not fast enough. Why are we waiting so long? Let's get going on these things. I challenge everybody to focus on you know, 20% of US healthcare. And so if we could knock out half of that, that would be hundreds of millions of dollars every year. It would solve so many problems and also people would live better. And so, um, and for, for unknown reasons it here is one of the only organizations purely focused on that as a mission.
0: Well, I'm excited about a call to action. We rarely see them on the show. So let this, you know, this is a moment in history for the show. I think for us in general, and I obviously hope to see it too. I think, uh, it's sometimes it takes decades for people to see the world the same way you do. So I'm excited for people to finally catch on. And hopefully the IRA is uh, is one thing that gets us closer to building that momentum that you needed out here and that others need to see to, to get this moving. So let's let's keep going on the the tech trend. I want to know what what are the things that you're following now? I know a lot of people are excited about AI and you've mentioned it before and kind of your ability to think about what's next and tomorrow's recommendations for clinicians and improving that experience. What are the tech trends that you're you're following
1: in your seat right now. Yeah, I, the the thing, uh, obviously, you know, uh, wherever we can do more interoperability is fantastic. I think one of the most important, and whenever we can use AI, and I think everyone's talked about that. I, I, I think all those things are fantastic advances. Um, the most interesting thing, um, you know, it's a lot of these things have been in place for a long time, but they're just now becoming uh, implemented. And so um, I think that to me, it's, it's the things that we've been talking about for a decade or longer that are actually being implemented now. And that to me, I'm following that um, is that how are we taking interoperability, um, massive data processing at scale um, and then things like AI and machine learning and uh, NLP and all those all those different types of new tech. How are we using that to really drive the needle? Because it's great to have it, you know, on on a, uh, uh, in, a in a magazine. It's a di- di- totally different story to actually apply it into a business at scale, not as a one off kind of wonky little startup. I mean, actually building out scalable products that really drive it and you're doing it at a cost that is reasonable. And so um, I use AWS. I think AWS is great. I also have Azure as well. It's really expensive to process a lot of data. And so uh, finding ways to do these things nimbly uh, at, a, at a lower cost, because cost is a problem too, to do these things, but um, focusing on the business case of how you apply these new technologies is um, is really exciting to me. And I'm, I'm uh, avid, avid focus, avidly focused on on whatever we can do to be more efficient.
0: That's great. And then just as we're wrapping up here, last two on the final frontier, especially on the business side, you just mentioned, and you're someone that has been now an executive at a large scaling up growing organization. You've been in this healthcare technology field for for three decades. What are the, what media are you consuming today to kind of help you think about these challenges or to, to help you think in, in your current role as, as CEO of the organization, what books, media, podcasts are you consuming that you might recommend to, to the audience?
1: Yeah, so in my space, you know, I, um, uh, I consume, uh, I'm certainly going to consume all the, uh, the healthcare kind of um, table stakes to the modern healthcare, uh, Fierce Healthcare, uh, the AHIP Spark Brief. Um, uh, uh, there's actually a, a guy named, you can look this up, Rama, r-a-m-a on healthcare he's a he's a he's a good guy he has a good consolidation of information that i i I read so i can see all you know things i'm not following and that's an actually great consolidation and it's free um and so um and those are of course the wall street journal um but um i also like to read frankly uh i like to think about uh, history and biographies of uh whether and I, you know, uh, Rockefeller recently read that, uh, George Lucas Spielberg, I like to read um books about innovators and leaders, um, that, um, that actually did something different. They broke the mold I and mean, Elon Musk's book is obviously it's, uh, an older book and obviously the jobs book is is phenomenal book, but I like to read things, of people who've been there, done that, they broke the mold, they went against the grain and, um, they uh they, they kind of took on uh the forces at will of status quo um and so uh a book i recently read i, I credit my wife for telling me to read this is um uh called breaking the habit of being yourself how to lose your mind and create a new one but you know breaking the habit of being yourself is kind of the major titles by jonas Benson. that's a great book it's it's a deeply meditative book and Pers- it make it forces you to think about the things that you do that make up who you are and break those habits to be someone better. Everyone can be better. And so uh and it's an excellent book. It's very uh it's not new. Uh Joe Dispenza for those people who know who he is. He's he's a unbelievable um leader in in uh for for the human race really. Uh, and I love that book, and that really um, made me think uh, quite a bit. And it's been on my mind since I read it a couple months ago.
0: Amazing, that's a great recommendation. We'll include all of these. I will also come back to you and let you know which habits I've broken because I've read right. it. So I appreciate you uh, you sharing. Last one here. You already mentioned quite a few people. Is there any healthcare or technology leader that you're following, aspiring to? I know you mentioned Elon. You mentioned Rockefeller, George Lucas. Um, anyone else come to mind either from the healthcare side? Maybe Rama and healthcare as well. Yeah, <laughs> and then
1: also the technology side. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to someone uh, uh, yesterday about um, someone who I, I really um, appreciate. Is uh, his name is John Halamka? Uh, I had the opportunity to meet John uh, twenty years ago. He he probably doesn't remember me. Remember, might remember the um, when I um, when I met him though. Uh, when I uh, if you remember David Brayler. Dr. Braylor was the first healthcare IT czar for George Bush. And so, um, I put on the first, uh, if you remember the Rios, which is the big, um, uh, regional health information HIEs, um, uh, for the United States back in 04. So I, uh, with the HIMSS uh, chapter here in Tennessee, we put on the first panel of all the regional health information organizations and had Dr. Braylor, who is number one most powerful person in healthcare that year, uh, moderate a panel. And so um I uh and Halanka is 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 an amazing person. Uh so I, I like to follow what he does. I think he's currently CIO of Johns Hopkins, UF Israel. Um uh, but you know, frankly, you know, uh, there there's lots of different uh healthcare leaders. Um um you know, certainly I look at every one of the health plan CEOs, um, uh whether it be Cordani or now Sarah London um or um uh, on and on and on. So I like to look at what they read. I'm kind of a geek about this. I like to read the quarterly earnings and listen to the uh, listen to the actual recordings and read the annual reports because it really the payers. I mean, just this, this may people may not like to hear this, but it's a fact. The payers have won in terms of healthcare. They are in charge. They hold all the purse strings. The ultimate payer, of course, is CMS. Um, so I focus on um, uh, those who are controlling um, the financials, so that because they're going to drive what's going to happen in the future, and so that's that's why I kind of focus on that. And then obviously anything that CMS puts out uh, on government uh, regulatory changes, I'm an avid reader of all that uh, wonky uh, detailed stuff in the federal registry and final rules and things of that nature. That uh, those of you who are in the CMS world understand exactly what I'm talking about.
0: I think we have quite a few actually, CMMI, uh, Policy Wants, who are thinking about kidney care. So I know there's at least a small but very fervent bunch who will appreciate and probably share some of the And Avalier would be another you, great, with great
1: place to go to Avalier, Avalier. which when I was at Innovalon, we had uh, acquired Avalier. Dan Mendelssohn uh, founded it. Dan Mendelson's now the president of um, uh, JP Morgan Health. He's a, a friend of mine too. But, um, but um, yeah, they they produce great stuff too, uh, Avalir.
0: Excellent. We'll make sure it's all linked here. Jason, we really appreciate you coming on, sharing what you're working on at here. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, meeting you, and we're of course rooting for you. We can't wait to see what you do with medication adherence and how you tackle these challenges in the road ahead.
1: Thank you so much, Tim. I really enjoyed the conversation.